The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Feliz Navidad. Welcome to the Paradise Delay podcast. A podcast loosely about electronic music and mental health. Now I say loosely because I haven't been talking about much mental health related themes lately. And I think that's just because I've been going through some stuff in my personal life. A few challenges, let's say. And I guess it just kind of feels disingenuous uh, me trying to share what's happening before I've processed it Uh, but we'll certainly get into it at some stage Um, I'm okay, I'm chilling but there's just some things I need to deal to and so I'm putting my emotional energy into that instead of into the podcast so if you're into the mental health stuff you know, I apologise He'll be back, don't worry. But yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of weekends back now, when this goes out, we had Waitangi weekend. And yeah, it was a great, great weekend, three-day weekends. Two three-day weekends in a row. I could get used to that. Uh, bring back, well, bring forward, actually, the four-day weekend, I reckon. That's where it's at. So... Waitangi weekend, uh, the celebrations, a little bit weird for me. Now, Waitangi, if you don't know, is a public holiday in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And it's based on the signing of the Waitangi Treaty in 1840. Now, you're wondering, why do you feel weird about Waitangi weekend? It's a day off, just enjoy it. Well, I do enjoy the day off, and that's why it's weird, because I enjoy the day off, but I know surrounding it, it's just, I don't know, the, the treaty's pretty messed up, to be honest. Pretty much, the treaty led the grounds for this systematic oppression that the Māori have faced for almost 200 years. Well, I think so anyways. Um, it's kind of a, it's, it's a tough one, but... When you look at what's happened in the treaty, it's pretty messed up. And I've talked about it in a previous podcast, and I honestly can't remember the name of the podcast, because I call my podcast Weird Names, and that makes it confusing, and it makes it hard to find podcasts, but I enjoy naming them funny names. It's a little little joy I get to have. Uh, So yeah. We'll get into it anyways. Waitangi Day is based off the Waitangi Treaty that was signed by both Māori leaders and the Brits. It's a formational document in Aotearoa and paved the way for how kind of modern New Zealand is. It's kind of like the constitution in New Zealand. Uh, in America, apologies. The thing is that 
our treaty was a complete fiasco, in my opinion. The thing about Aotearoa at the time is that the Māori had been living undisturbed for like 500 years, right? And at the time, Aotearoa was filled with many different tribes, each with relationships and rivalries between each other. Now, the governance of certain territories was governed by the chief in the area. There was no collective governance like we have uh, that the Brits brought over with government and MPs and all that jazz. So, the Brits created the Waitangi Treaty with the purpose of getting all the chiefs in Aotearoa to sign. And in February 6, around 50 Māori chiefs signed the Treaty of Waitangi, and by the end of the year, over 500 chiefs had signed a version of the treaty. But it's important to know that much of the Māori population at the time was wary of the treaty and refused to sign. And, in my opinion, rightly so, the Waitangi Treaty came in an English version and a Te Reo Māori version. The thing about the two different translations of the treaty uh, was that they weren't entirely aligned with each other. In particular, what was different in the two treaties was their meaning surrounding sovereignty. Now, I don't entirely understand what sovereignty is, but I looked it up and it's basically a fancy word and it pretty much means the power to govern one's own affairs. It's how you make and enforce laws, control territory, and govern a population. Now, with the Māori version of the treaty, it stated that the Māori population would have their own sovereignty over Aotearoa. Whereas in the English version, uh, it's quite clear in saying that the Māori would be handing over their sovereignty to the British Crown. And, yeah, it's, it's, it was framed as a mistake because the treaty was rushed in its translation and putting together. And I'm not saying that the British Crown did this on purpose for sure, but when you look at how they've treated other indigenous cultures like Ireland, like Australia, the indigenous cultures don't get particularly well treated by the British, if you know what I mean. If you know, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, that's my British. Uh, apologies. Yeah, it's just my opinion uh, that maybe they sneaked it through in the translation, uh, but in the end it doesn't really matter. The fact remains that the Treaty of Waitangi has continued to shape Aotearoa for the past almost 200 years. And it's based off a mistranslation, what I would call misleading words. And, yeah, during that time, I can't say that the Māori people have been treated very well over the past 200 years since the Treaty of Waitangi. 
Even today, there's so much systemic racism in Aotearoa. And I'm not saying, like, people are racist. I'm saying the system that is governed by the people is racist. And that's somehow different, I think. You're not accusing a person of being racist. You're accusing laws and initiatives, I guess. And, yeah... The government system is based on the British version of the Treaty of Waitangi and it has unequal outcomes for the Māori people. I mean, just some statistics here, has some statistics, enjoy. Uh, Māori people have described themselves as having poor health and these people are 1.7 times the national average. And despite only making up 16% of the population in Aotearoa, the Māori people make up over 50% of the prison population. And I must be clear that this is not the fault of the indigenous population in Aotearoa. These statistics are the fault of centuries of colonization colonialization, frick it, uh, discrimination and exploitation. Because of the mistranslation of the Treaty of Waitangi, the Māori people have not been able to construct their own destiny. Instead, they've been victims of policies and practices put in place by the British government to control and exploit them, rather than empower and uplift them, you know? I've heard some people just say how we brought modern technology and progress to indigenous populations and it's like yeah sure but was it worth the cost it's not a it's not a zero-sum game you know uh, they got access to modern medicine a few other things but they also got all the bad things that come of our society and not treated very nicely Uh, yeah, I mean, the Māori people were stripped of their cultural identity, forbidden to speak their native tongue in schools. And you just look at the statistics after the Waitangi Treaty was signed. Much of Māori land was confiscated by the Crown or bought by uh, people coming from overseas. And this resulted in Māori land ownership dropping from 70% when the treaty was signed to just 4%. 110 years afterwards. So yeah, I have uh, mixed feelings about Waitangi Day. For me, it seems almost wrong to celebrate which marked the turning point in Māori history, where they lost their sovereignty and their cultural identity. Uh, But, I mean, it's not just about me, like, I enjoyed the day off for sure, like, Enjoy your days off. Enjoy your public holiday. I'm not saying that, but I just feel a bit weird about it. And I don't know, it'd be cool. I think it's nice because on Waitangi Day in Waitangi up in the north of the North Island, they celebrate Waitangi Day and they get together at a marae and uh, often prime ministers and politicians will be invited if they're liked. And... Yeah, I think John Key wasn't allowed on Waitangi for Waitangi Day. (laughs) Suck it. 
and yeah it's yeah I, th- I think it's cool they're celebrating it it's good to get together uh, to get the community together and discuss Waitangi Day and discuss Waitangi Tribunal where they're looking at the Waitangi Treaty and yeah get together and connect I, th- I think that's cool that they do that without being condescending ah uh, yeah so <laughs> now that now that I've got all the complaining out of my system you know uh I feel like, you know, um, yeah, I enjoyed the long weekend. Actually, you know, we had two week long weekends in a row, so yeah, it's great. And so for our long weekend, we jetted across the Windy Hills into Takaka Valley with some friends and, you know, went camping. And... Yeah, the, the day after, we had a nice night, we stayed out, hung out, chilled out, you know. And we woke up the next day, it was a beautiful sunny day, and so we headed straight for the river. And we drove down along the rocks on the beach, parked up our vans, and sat in the sun. And started baking very quickly. Uh, actually, my sunburn's peeling from this day now, so it was a little while ago. About a week, I'd say. And, yeah, I don't know if you've experienced Aotearoa's sun before, but it's crazy strong. Uh, in the 90s, chlorofluorocarbons were used for refrigerants and propellants. Unfortunately, uh, when these got into the environment and into the air, they go up into the atmosphere and react with ozone and they break it down and the ozone blocks the harmful UV rays and because they've been broken down the harmful UV rays can get through and yeah sometimes I'm all, I think you can almost hear this as the sun hits you in New Zealand it's, it's too much to be honest too much and yeah, we were sitting next to the river, which was sparkling with the sunlight and runs from the Kahurangi Mountains. It's just beautiful, it's cool. And funnily enough, we were there with a bunch of French people. And one of the French guys is a nice guy, he's a cheesemaker in Machueca, and to his credit, he brought like four big packets of cheese. It's probably like a couple of kgs worth, I reckon. One and a half, we'll say one and a half. And so he bought these, he started opening them, he was cutting up the cheese into nice bits, he had some sourdough to go with it, and he's got it on a little wooden chopping block and he puts it down. And man, you should have seen the French. They were like pigeons to leftover fish and chips that's how I'd describe it and yeah so the French demolished this cheese honestly it must have been about five minutes and the cheese was gone there was just nothing left it was it was it was kind of amazing to be honest and yeah I, I didn't know the che- French were into cheese that much I knew they were into cheese 
but I didn't know they were that much into cheese. Uh, sorry, that was just someone texting me. Uh, bugger off, will ya? So I know with French people, if I ever need to attract some French people, uh, maybe I need help with some French kissing? No. What else do French do? French fries. Maybe I need some help cooking some French fries. Check out some cheese. Check some French. The French fries aren't even French. Anyways. So I've been reading this book. Uh, it's a book about sound design. can't for the life of me remember what the name of it is. It's like studying sound or something like that. It's real cool. It's, uh, it recommends keeping a sound journal where you, you sit down for a little period every day and note down the sounds that you can hear. So I've been trying this a, a little bit and it's crazy when you sit down and actively listen how many things you can hear. And what's even more crazy is that there's a philosopher, don't know his name either, should do my research, that believes that if someone from pre-industrial times was to travel through a wormhole in time and arrive in present day, that just the sounds of modern day living would quickly overwhelm them. Pretty much meaning that, like, before industrialization, before big factories and that, before cars, before machinery, before roadworks, before ambulances, the world was pretty quiet. It was pretty still. And, yeah. Yeah, it was good. And, sorry, I just got another text. And, so, if they came to the modern world from pre-industrial times... They would go crazy. And I think there's some amount of truth to this. Just the amount of noises that, like, even a town like Motorica vouches forth. Ah, it's a lot. So, yeah, I'm in Motorica at the moment, top of the South Island, Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I'm beginning to like Mot more and more each day. And to be honest, Mot, when I used to drive through, I kind of thought you were a bit of a shite hole. Uh, but now, um, I guess I was just driving through the my main street on the way to Takaka, and so I only saw the main street, but living here, ah, it's cool. You have beautiful beaches, close mountains, rivers to swim in. You're alright, Mochurika, you're alright. Anyways, I digress. So I'm sitting by Takaka River in the blaring sun, and I pull out my diary. I can hear the river flowing, breezes filtering through the trees and a lot of French being spoken. To be honest, it was difficult to pick out the sounds that day because of one particular sound that seemed to eat every other sound up. Cicadas. Friggin' cicadas. I lo love this sound. It's so cool. A chorus of a million little critters clicking to their own beat it's just so cool. It's a it's a sound of summer. Cicadas, when they make their sound, and there's so many of them, it's such a rich sound. And what's interesting, the, the book I'm reading uh, about sound design, the author talks about an experiment in a lecture where someone played 
the same sound for 20 minutes in a lecture hall filled with students. Now, after the first 10 minutes, students started to walk out, complaining that the sound repeating over and over again was driving them crazy. So the music was shut off. It was then that one of the students spoke up and said, Why did you turn it off? It was just getting interesting. Now, there's a particular aspect of sound where if we hear the same sound repeated for a long time, it starts to sound different to us. I don't actually think it's a peculiar aspect to the sound. Maybe it's a peculiar aspect to our brain. But it, the only thing I can think to compare it to is kind of like when you say a word over and over again and it begins to sound weird coming out of your mouth. The same thing happens for sounds. Now, the cicada sound, the lovely, harmonious, resonant buzzing that seems to phase in and out from itself. When I sat down for like 20 minutes and actively listened, I felt like the sound was wrapping around me like a warm blanket. The sound seemed to pulse, to come alive. What's more, I felt calm and kind of, I felt like I could concentrate well with it. And, I mean, there's a slight abrasiveness to the sound of the cicadas. But this just makes things more interesting, you know? Now, I had a moment of self-reflection while I was doing this, where I was like, bro, you are listening to the cry of, like, a million insects trying to get laid. It's a bit weird. Like, give them a break. And it's, it's true, you know? Because adult cicadas, before the adults, are larvae and they can be in the soil for up to 17 years. Which is crazy to think about. And you think they're just waiting there 17 years to have the right conditions to pop out and find a mate and have some fun, boogie for a bit. And what's also crazy to think about is that like 17 years ago, there's a cicada that came out possibly this year has been in the soil for 17 years. If I think 17 years ago, I would have been 13, in middle school, playing four square, and probably avoiding girls, because they're scary. Yeah, 17 years. It's a long time spent in the ground. So I can understand why they make such a racket when they finally reach sexual maturity. Anyways, enough of that. Uh, I sat there listening to the sex cries of a million insects for half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever, which was surprisingly quite relaxing. So there you go, you know, I'd almost recommend it. Uh, so before we get into the gnarly stuff in the podcast, I would like to play a song. I've been banging it for quite a while, and it plays really well on shit speakers for some reason. Now, please don't judge me for playing this. He is the king of dubstep, which I think has now kind of mixed with rap to become grime music. Add Skrillex. It's a cool song. Don't judge it, please. Just go with it. 
and I really like the, the, the low end. So, we'll see you after the break. Paradise Delay, Fresh FM, peace. updating my playlist but you can find Skrillex it's pretty easy check it in Spotify it's kind of weird well kind of cool actually that he's pivoted from dubstep to grime it's it's interesting how you get two genres like rap and dubstep mixing together to make this new cool thing that I haven't listened much to to be honest so you're on Fresh FM, best radio station in Aotearoa probably. Uh, big big shout out to Fresh FM. Uh, if you want to make a podcast, definitely go in and have a chat with them. They're at Founders Park. Stroll in during the day, go have a chat with them. Make a podcast. It's the easiest content to make, and that's coming from me. So go out there, send your message, do it. So... Before the break, I'd been listening to Cicadas for quite a while, 20 minutes. And something must have clicked in my brain because 
I remembered something my mate told me. And to be honest, I don't know how much truth there is to it, so take it with a grain of salt. Well, cicadas are in the ground for a long time, suckling on the roots of trees. But they don't stay in the ground for the same amount of time. Uh, even in the same cicada species, one cicada may spend, you know, like 15 years underground getting ready and another might have spent 13 or 12. It varies, and it's a strange phenomenon. And what happens when the environmental conditions are perfect is that you get a huge flourish of cicadas happening in one year. And they bring upon their song to the world but yeah, you get these these booms, booms on cicadas, and then other years it might be more chill because the conditions aren't right. And I can't help but think, I know it's pretty far out, but maybe the boom and the lull in cicada populations mimics their sound, you know, like you know how the cicada sound rises and falls, maybe it mimics their population over the year, and they are like singing their history, <laughs> I know it's pretty far out, but I mean, some cultures sing their history and that's, that's how they pass down their history and their traditions, ah uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, a bit out there. I know I'm pretty far out there with that one, but, you know, it's fun to think about. Anyways, so my mate was telling me, and by no way is this fact, but apparently this year was a bumper one for cicadas. Cicadas were out in form. Like, this year had the perfect environmental conditions. Oh, there's a plane. I'm recording this very close to an airfield. And sometimes you see skydivers coming down. It's cool. Is it a plane or is it a lawnmower? Oh, I hope it's not a lawnmower. I don't know what it is. Anyways, we'll try to carry on. Hopefully post-production will take that out. So, this year has been the perfect environmental conditions for cicadas. Sorry, someone's calling me now. Annoying. Um, anyways. Bumper year for cicadas. And I don't know if this is true, but my mate reckons Cicada 3301 is involved. Now, if you don't know what Cicada 3301 is, that's all good. It's basically an internet puzzle. And it's an internet puzzle that has yet to be solved. Now, I don't know if my mate's take on this is correct, but I know for a fact that Cicada 3301 is a real thing. In 2012, lurkers of sites like 4chan and Reddit would come across an anonymous post, which invited people to solve a series of increasingly difficult puzzles. It was an advertisement or 
it was both an advertisement or maybe a recruitment message for individuals to prove their intelligence. Now, to be fair, quite a few questions have been solved so far, quite a few riddles, but they weren't easy. Uh, to give you an example, the first code was hidden in the file of an image. And how this code was solved is so ridiculous. Uh, it was solved using something called a steganograph. What a freaking weird word. Anyways, steganography is a technique used to hide information inside other information. It allows the hidden information to be transmitted without drawing attention to itself. Now a bit of history on it, I like my history, it dates back to ancient Greece where messages were hidden among messages on wax tablets. And so when you ran the image for a steganograph, it showed a text that said Tiberivs Cladivs Caesar followed by another code. Now the only words in this phrase that I recognize is Caesar. And you know the strange thing about Caesar is he too, like the Greeks, used to code his messages using a cipher. Which Caesar or Caesar would then send out to his officers. And it works pretty simply. If you wanted to write the word cheese, C-H-E-E-S-E, -E, you would shift all the letters down the alphabet a certain amount of times. That bloody plane, I tell you. <laughs> I want to learn to fly a plane. I think it would be fun. I think it would feel cool. Okay, so cheese. Move the alphabet a certain number of times for each letter. So if you picked the amount of times as five, C would then move C, D, E, F, G, H. So you'd move down five letters. So C would become H, H would become M, the three E's and cheese would become J's, and the S would become X. So you, if you were to code the cheese, you wanted to say cheese and code using this code that Caesar used. You would uh, get a word that's pronounced possibly like hmm uh, Yeah, it's a kind of a dumb cipher to be honest. But this cipher was named the Caesar cipher. So if you ran the second code given from the image through a Caesar cipher, you got a link to another image. Now this image was a nice image of a duck with the message, whoops, just decoys this way. Looks like you can't get how to get the message out. Now people trying to solve this message were obviously disappointed at the time. But then they started looking at the duck and the message and they're like, yo, what a, what a weird term of phrase, get the message out. From there, they quickly figured out that there's a steganograph called Get Out. So they plugged the image files into it. The image then had a link to a book in groups of two numbers written in a list, which linked to a book called The Book of the Law by Alistair Crowley. Now, a bit of a tangent again, but this book sounds batshit crazy. 
It was written by Alistair, but he claims that it wasn't him who wrote it. He talked about automatic writing and how he received the text through automatic writing. And so it wasn't actually him writing, it was someone writing through him. And he believed that the words that he transcribed this book were from something or someone called Iwas, a spiritual entity. <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, I want to read this book. And I, the craziest thing is, people started to like get on board with what Alistair was saying. And a religion called the Lima was established. The ethos of the group, the Lima, in the book carried the main message do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law now I put this sentence into chat GPT just to bring it up to date because everything old school sounds weird and it's hard to get the tone from it chat GPT translated it, in, it into follow your own heart and it will be the basis for all laws sounds a lot less cultish when you rephrase it in modern language, yeah. But I guess it means it's okay to break the law if you feel it in your heart, if you're following your heart. And we might, we might have to discuss these the Lima guys on another podcast. It's really interesting. Anyways, so the first riddle of Cicada 3301 ends there with the book, The Law of... The called again? Uh, the Book of the Law by Alistair Crowley. And that was the first. There's many more clues uh, in this modern day treasure hunt. But the, the interesting thing, back to my mate. Okay, he had, a, he had an interesting take about this. And it's pretty far out, to be honest, but it's fun. It's fun to take things far out. Conspiracies are fun. Um conspiracies while not always being true are always the most interesting version of a story uh, that's why conspiracies gain traction because it's a lot more interesting than everyday life I think so my mate was talking about Cicada 3301 this huge online treasure hunt and the thing about Cicada 3301 is it's gone radio silent to, since 2016 no more clues posted, absolute radio silence. Seems like the trail has run cold almost. Uh, well, that's that's uh, pretty much the reason for my mate talking up, uh, telling me this thing. He believes, get this, that this year, because it's been a bumper year for cicadas, he reckons they'll post another cicada clue this year. He thinks that after seven years of radio silence that they, whoever they are that are behind uh, Cicada 3301 because they're anonymous, he thinks that they're going to post another clue this year, that they're going to come back uh, because currently it's unsolved. No one solved it. There is a theory that possibly somebody solved it, got invited to a private chat group 
and then all the history got deleted. Uh, there's that theory which I'd be I would love to explore on a different podcast because it sounds really interesting. Um, but yeah, Cicada three three oh one. Nobody knew who was posting this stuff, nor do they know what the reason behind these posts being made are. But if I had to go full conspiracy mode, I would say. I'd take a stab, I'd take an educated guess, and I'd say, judging by the book that was referenced in the code, The Book of the Law, by Alistair Crowley, there's a link between Anonymous, I think, and Cicada 3301. Now, I'll get on to who Anonymous is soon, if you don't know, but judging by the content of The Book of the Law, follow your heart and that should be the basis for all laws. That's very similar to the ethos that Anonymous use. Anonymous being the online group that is known for their online hacktivism. They are known for hacking into websites and releasing confidential information, often illegally. Uh, But despite carrying out illegal activities... The ethos of Anonymous is based on the ideas of freedom of speech, privacy, and transparency. Anonymous claimed to be motivated by a desire to promote promote positive change and challenge what they perceive as unjust power structures. And I mean, this sounds pretty much like similar values expressed in the main idea of the book of the law, right? sounds like they both had the same philosophy. And, yeah, if they're referencing this book, uh, it's obviously a message as well, you know. They've messaged other books as well. Uh, I would love to explore those too. But, yeah, if I had to take an educated guess, I would say Anonymous has something to do with it. Because also... It could be a, like, recruitment process using Cicada 3301 for Anonymous because, well, it makes sense. Anonymous uses the same methods that are used in Cicada 3301 to solve the the ciphers, cryptology and problem solving. Two core aspects that are used in hacktivism as well. So, you know, it's quite possible that they're linked and but also I could take this a step further in a paranoidness and I'm going to but just to uh, not spread false information this is entirely my opinion take it uh, with a grain of salt and do your own research always important do your own research type it into chat GPT see what it says And now, yeah, this conspiracy, I I think it could be possible that CIA were behind it. (laughs) It's ridiculous, I know this is crazy, but I feel like Cicada 3301 is a calling card for hacktivists. And uh, someone in Anonymous would not be able to resist the allure of like a treasure hunt or, you know... Yeah, on the internet, 
and it's catered towards people who know how to do that kind of stuff. And so possibly it's a way of the CIA to weed out these people, you know, like figure out the identities of who could possibly be behind Anonymous. And if you think I sound crazy, man, CIA has done some crazy stuff. Um, They release their records of what they've been up to after like 50 or 60 years or so. So you never find out at the time, but if if you look back at the stuff being released now, oh, they did some naughty things. Ah, Che Guevara, whole Latin America, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, even in Aotearoa, CIA has been up to some not so good things. Um, but again, just a opinion of mine that CIA might be behind Cicada 3301 to figure out the identities of Anonymous and they post something that Anonymous can't resist and boom, wow, we know that guy. He's on our list now. Ah, but yeah. Anyways, it, it's such an interesting thing. I recommend giving it a, a chat GBT. Is that the new Google? And doing a bit of research about it. It's, it's entirely interesting. And yeah, big rabbit hole. It's cool, I might do another podcast on it. So, it's never been solved as far as we know, apart from that one conspiracy that we might look into later. Uh, And yeah, it's interesting that maybe the clue might be because of the boom in cicadas this year. Who knows? It's a modern day mystery. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to play one of my songs now. I think it's nearing the end of the podcast. Peace, love and prosper.
podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.